Hey everybody, come on over here. It's the Northern Miner Podcast. Welcome to episode 113 of the Northern Miner podcast. I'm your host, John Cumming, editor-in-chief of the Northern Miner. And uh, this week I'm in Ottawa. I'm just visiting family for a few days uh, on vacation. Um, It reminds me, uh, you know, as a teenager, the first time I ever flew to England and uh, the customs official uh, greeted me. Good morning, sir. Are you here for business or pleasure? And and, uh, as a teenager, oh, I'm, I'm here to visit family. Oh, so neither then. <laughs> anyway, uh, so this week we're finishing the trilogy about diamonds. This all stems from our 2018 Diamonds in Canada Symposium held in Toronto last month. This week we have a panel session starring Matt Manson. He's the president and CEO of Stornoway Diamond. They have their diamond mine in Quebec. And we have George Reed. Uh, everyone Everyone knows George. He's the Senior Vice President of Exploration and Development at Star Diamond. That's the new name for Shore Gold. And we have Peter Ravenscroft. He's the Managing Director of Burgundy Diamonds. And they're a new fund being set up uh, with $30 million for grassroots diamond exploration. Part one of the trilogy, that was the um, episode we had with Paul Zimniski. He's a industry uh, consultant and analyst, and it was a maybe a surprisingly upbeat, uh, positive view of the diamond industry. And we had SRK's Yarek uh, Jakubek and Casey Hetman talking about the technical side. And then in episode 112, we had Ira and Grant Thomas with an in-depth uh, interview with uh, Alicia Hyatt, our editor of uh, Diamonds in Canada. And then we also had a minor moment where I just pulled out uh, Ira talking about Clara So uh, we have quite a nice package there of the diamond uh, scene in Canada between the three of them. So if you missed the first two, check those out. Let's give a quick shout out to our sponsors. We have uh, the Grasso Group led by entrepreneur Joe Grasso out of Vancouver. And the Grasso Group has three public companies, Blue Sky Uranium, Argentina Lithium and Energy, and Golden Arrow Resources. All three are involved in uh, South America, specifically Argentina, throughout the country. Golden Arrow itself is the most advanced of the three, and Golden Arrow owns a 25% share of Puna Operations, Inc., and that's a joint venture company operated by SSR Mining. That's the old silver standard. Uh, They got rid of the silver in their name, SSR Mining. Puna Operations, they're producing silver concentrate from the Perquitas operation, and they're developing the nearby Chinchillas Silver Project together, and that has more than eight years of forecast production and upside potential. Our second sponsor is the Yukon Mining Alliance. You can see them at their website, yukonminingalliance.ca. And they also have a terrific Twitter feed, at InvestYukon. Go to those two areas for a a great roundup of Yukon activity. There's nothing else quite like them in the industry. Really, uh, they do a terrific job. A bit of news out of the Yukon. I think this is just emblematic of how much... Uh, exploration potential there is in the territory. It's from Victoria Gold. 
Of course, they're deeply involved in building their Eagle Gold Mine. Usually people just stop exploring at that point, but uh, they're having a full exploration program on the Dublin Gulch property uh, with diamond drills, and they're going to concentrate on the Olive Shamrock, Bluto, Nugget, and VBW targets. Let's take a quick roundup of the metal prices, just because they're so terrible, but let's uh, check in with <laughs> what's going on. The U.S. dollar is so strong. Everything correlates directly to the U.S. dollar strain. But here we are, uh, Friday, July 20th. We've got gold at 1223, silver at 1530, platinum 807, palladium 868. So gold, that's down 51 in the last 30 days. Silver's down a dollar in the last 30 days. Platinum is down $200 over the last six months. And palladium is also down $200 over the last six months. And palladium, if it hits 841, maybe it has, as you're listening to this, that'll be a new 52-week low. Over in the base metals, we have copper at 273 a pound. So that's down 30 cents over the last half year. Nickel is at $6. That was $7 six months ago. Aluminum, 92 cents a pound. Zinc is at $1.16. And just think back in February, zinc was at $1.60. Lead is at 94 cents. Uranium uh, is one of the ones holding steady at 22.85. Some of the bigger news over the past week, we have Sibanye Stillwater, that's the South African gold and platinum miner. They did a $500 million deal with Wheaton Precious Metals. Of course, if you remember, uh, Sibanye has been buying all kinds of assets over the last few years, and they now have $1.8 billion in debt. So uh, they're doing this to lower their debt level. This is a pretty interesting deal here. We've got Wheaton is going to get 100% of the gold from Sibanye's U.S. operations. That's basically the Stillwater operations, and they will get a percentage of the palladium production. So Wheaton will pay Sibanye 18% of the market price for palladium and gold, up to $500 million, and then afterwards 22% of the market value. So Stillwater is going to produce about 14,500 ounces of gold and 29,000 ounces of palladium every year for 10 years, starting in 2019. Another big deal with a huge asset. This is Indonesia's state-owned miner Inalum has secured a $5.2 billion financing, or this is at least a rumor of it, from 11 foreign and local banks. And, of course, you had the announcement from Freeport that uh, it is going to sell a majority stake in the world's largest copper mine for a bunch of deals worth $3.85 So that should solidify uh, in the coming weeks. Another headline that jumps out is uh, in the cobalt world. This is you know, very hot with the EV market. Panasonic plans to have cobalt content of car batteries in two to three years. And remember, Panasonic is the exclusive supplier to the Tesla batteries. So yeah, even though Tesla is the most prominent EV maker, it really is a very small segment of the battery market. Panasonic has previously said they're trying to get down to zero cobalt content in their batteries, but uh, as we've talked about before, that opens up uh, problems with uh, battery life and uh, flammability of the batteries. Over in iron ore, BHP Billiton, the world's largest mining company, has set, set a new record for production for the 2018 financial year, up 3%. So in the June quarter, BHP produced 63.6 million tons. That's up 10% over the previous three months. And for 2019 uh, financial year, they're guiding 
even higher levels of 241 to 250 million tons of iron ore. And on top of this, they uh, approved uh, back in June a $2.9 billion investment in the South Flank project in Australia. So that's going to replace the Yandy mine. Uh, and this new project will deliver ore in 2021. It was a terrific year all around for BHP. Their metallurgical coal production was up 7% to a record 43 million tons. On the copper side, it was production was up 32% to 1.7 million tons, but that was uh, related to the Escondida mine, uh, which had strikes in the previous year. Another thing to keep an eye on is that BHP is selling its onshore petroleum assets in the U.S. Uh, that should be settled in the coming months. I also think uh, it's interesting with iron ore, this is something we've talked about on the show here, is the new interest in the spread between the 62% iron and 65% iron related to the uh, smog reduction moves being taken in China by the Chinese government. These premiums for the best grade uh, iron ore deposits are going up, as well as um, the importance of the impurities in the iron ore. So that's one more spread to keep an eye on, apart from other spreads in the world. The spread between the 62% iron and 65% iron. Even though this is quite a small deal, it's a, it's a big one in the diamond world. This is De Beers is a, uh, offering a cash offer for Peregrine Diamonds. It's only $107 million, so it's, it's bittersweet because people are kind of excited there's a takeover in diamonds, which doesn't happen too often, maybe once every year or two. But the price is so low. This is, um, you know, the Chidliak project on Baffin Island. Peregrine had finished a uh, preliminary economic assessment just of two pipes and only open pit mining of them. And that PEA showed uh, the project valued at $679 million. So De Beers is uh, obviously getting a bargain here. This is uh, a bit of $0.24 cents a share. And the stock hasn't moved, so there's no <laughs> there's no sense in the market there's going to be a bidding war. Someone who does follow Peregrine is uh, John Kaiser out of uh, San Francisco there, and he uh, suggests a bidding war could happen, but the market doesn't seem to show that. His recommendation is to hold a couple of weeks longer and see if a bidding war is going to happen. I think Peregrine could sell as high as 50 to 60 cents, but we need to see a superior bid to kick off a bidding war. And he says... Uh, this is the start of a bidding war. Rio Tinto and Washington companies, that's the owner of a caddy, they have the ability to make superior bids. But uh, anyway, the market doesn't seem to show one happening, but we'll see. De Beers also came out with its production for the first half of 2018. We've got total carrots recovered for De Beers is 17.5 million carrots for the first half of 2018, divided by uh, region here. Botswana chipped in 12 million of those carrots, Namibia 1 million, South Africa 2.1 million, and Canada 2.25 million. So Canada has now surpassed South Africa as uh, for carrots, at least for uh, De Beers, which is pretty interesting. And that Canadian production is, of course, the uh, Gaucho Quay mine, which is uh, coming on very strong up in uh, the Arctic here. Of course, De Beers only owns 51%. The 49% is owned by um, the non-operator Mountain Province Diamonds. So, uh, yeah, they're having a very good quarterly results here. And Mountain Province, uh, they also say that they uh, are well-positioned 
to achieve the upper end of their full year 2018 production guidance of 6.3 to 6.6 million carats recovered from Gaucho Quay. So uh, very strong uh, per performance there from Gaucho Quay. One last diamond item here uh, in the news. This is just another end of an era. Is uh, Rio Tinto is having one of their final diamond tenders for their pink diamonds. Their Argyle mine in the uh, in Australia produces about 90% of the world's pink diamonds, and it has well, roughly about three years left of mine life. So this is one of the final tenders. The largest diamond is the Argyle Alpha Diamond that's already cut, and that weighs 3.14 carats. And these, yeah, these pink ones get some of the best, best value valuations, period, in the diamond world. Before we jump into our panel session, let's just thank our sponsors for our diamond uh, event. Our diamond sponsor was Star Diamond, that's former Shore Gold, with their massive deposit in Saskatchewan. And our gold sponsor is Dunedin Ventures, North Arrow Minerals, SRK, and Talmora Diamond. And our silver sponsors were Burgundy Diamond Pro Projects and LithoQuest Diamonds. So let's take a little break, and we will come back with the panel session. And again, that is a panel session with Matt Manson, George Reed, and Peter Ravenscroft. So very experienced people, so and an interesting discussion. I'd like to get us started on the second portion of today's symposium. This next panel is entitled Canada, Diamond Industry World Leader. We're going to be diving into what, how Canada has become a world leader and what the prospects are going forward. So I'd like to uh, introduce the moderator for this panel discussion. John Cumming is the Editor-in-Chief for the Northern Miner. He's been the Editor-in-Chief for 13 years. And he's been with the Northern Miner for 22 years, so a wealth of experience. John has his Master's of Geology, and has been a well-known industry expert for his entire career. So, John, please come on up. Thank you. Good afternoon, everybody. Good to see such a huge crowd out. Let's just jump right into it here, and I'll introduce our panel. Just proceeding from my left, we've got uh, Matt Manson. He's the President and CEO of Stornoway Diamond, which has the new Renard Diamond Mine in Quebec, which started production 2016, and Matt was also our Northern Miner Person of the Year for 2016. For 2017. 2017. Well, for the for the for the for the accomplishments of 2016. <laughs> of course, Matt has hands-on experience with all aspects of the diamond industry, and also was involved with Aber and Diavec in the early days there. Moving on, we have Peter Ravenscroft. He's the managing director of Burgundy Diamonds. This is a very interesting new company. It's a private company, and they're raising upwards of 30 million US, and they're going to invest this in uh, exploration stage diamond projects. So a new source of funds out there in the market. Peter has a particular specialty in iron ore and diamonds, and has been the qualified person on some high-profile diamond projects. And until 2011, he was the head of global exploration for Cliffs Natural Resources. And before that, he was managing director of the Technical Valuation Group of Rio Tinto in London, 17 years with Rio Tinto, and has had experience with De Beers, Anglo-American, GenCorp, also very experienced. And then George Reed, Senior Vice President of Exploration Development of Star Diamond. 
the new name of uh, Shore Gold. Of course, they have the Star Orion South Diamond Project in Saskatchewan, and there's a whole new momentum with the story this year, and we'll hear more about it later this afternoon. There's a new PEA that totals 66 million carats with 34-year mine life, and the question is always, when will this be mined? <laughs> Some, someone's going to do it someday. It's so huge, you can't walk away from that one. So, just a Quick uh, intro to Canadian Diamond. Of course, our first mine was in 1998, and today we export $2 billion, $2 billion of diamonds annually. Uh, it's been kind of a plateau in diamond production from the countries, it's roughly 13 million, between 12 and 15 million carats annually, and that kind of mimics the sort of plateau in world production. And uh, the numbers that people often cite is that we've been uh, third by value in the world and fifth by volume. Matt, could you give us a uh, just an overview of the capital markets in Canada? You, you were involved with raising this quite a large amount of money in a very creative way for Renard. Uh, so, what's your take on the capital markets in Canada for diamonds? I, I, you know, I, I you know the, the, the short answer is it's pretty tough, right? Um, um, I, I think it's pretty tough for all commodities right now in the capital markets. Um, you know, the gold guys have struggles as well. I mean, as public companies. In the diamond space, you know, there's a, there's a big difference between the, raising the capital to do the primary kind of greenfields exploration and then raising the, the bigger amount of capital to do the very expensive stage sampling protocols, the bulk samples, the detailed drilling, the kind of work that Casey and Yarrick are talking about is, is, is really expensive work to, to, to raise equity for in the capital market. So I think that is, has been a challenge. It's going to be increasingly a challenge. I mean, we raised $946 million to, to build the mine, and that was after about 100 and something odd million dollars to do all of that work. And I, I often say, I don't know if a company following us can, can follow the same path again, where a company ends up with 100% ownership of a self-financed mine, because I, I don't know if the market is there to support that. I think there's lots of potential in the diamond business. The, the, the macro picture is fantastic. It's never been better. The supply and demand outlook for diamonds is really terrific. You've got De Beers intervening now to support the natural diamond business in an aggressive and clever way, as Paul was talking about. You know, and you've got good potential in Canada for more discovery and development. Um, I, I think what's missing right now is the capital markets. Uh, George, you can just jump in here. I know you've been solely focused on this star, but when you look across the country, what uh, mineral projects ex excite you? What camps excite you when you look across the country? Well, I think Canada has very vast cratonic areas, um, many of which have been underexplored or unexplored. Uh, De Beers is still following up targets, to my knowledge, that came out as highlights in the 1960s, reconnaissance exploration. And as we know, there are two targets in an area which had been stamped over for years and years and years, namely in, the on, in Ontario between uh, Thunder Bay and Marathon, uh, both De Beers and Rio Tinto made discoveries in the last little while in an area that had been explored very extensively. So there are areas in northern Ontario that I think are difficult to access, probably more remote than the, than the slave, but great opportunity. Uh, there's something new in Manitoba. We haven't heard a lot about that, but certainly that northeastern Manitoba, there could be opportunities there. And if you look at our project, there are some tendencies suggesting that the diamonds from the Fort Hulacorn could be lurzolitic, and more specifically that the prototypes that host the diamonds could be younger, could be <coughs> early Proterozoic. 
And so maybe there's some other spins on new areas in Canada. I mean, I mean, we just, to that point, I mean, we just announced a discovery a few weeks ago, um, uh, what we call a real Kimberlite, and it's about 70 kilometres north of Elliott Lake. There's nothing around there for about 150 kilometres. So, mm. so that is, uh, it wasn't found with conventional methods, and I can't tell you how we found it, but uh, it was an area that had been explored before, and there's more there. So absolutely, I mean, Canada is, is open for And uh, these vast cratonic areas, I think <coughs> they've got a, a good future life. And as the mines might wind down, there will be mines to replace them. Right, that's good to hear. And Peter, you're, you're strictly focusing here with um, exploration stage financing. Could you just give a, a precy of what's going on with the juniors? Uh, of course, the, the problem with junior diamond exploration is it takes so long to prove up a deposit. <coughs> Maybe it's not suited for uh, yep. gold capital markets for like a gold junior, but could you just give an overview there? Sure, thanks, John. But before I do that, just to follow on that previous discussion, at the risk of being controversial, someone asked me the other day, where do I think the next mine in Canada is going to be discovered? And I said, it's already been discovered. We found so many diamond difference kimberlites that there is a new mine in there somewhere. And Casey's point earlier about making the wrong decisions too early in the project life is a favorite topic of mine. And I have a firm belief that a lot of diamond projects, because of the capital constraints that Matt talked about in bulk sampling and the cost involved in that, we walk away too early. So listen to me, there are projects here that will be mines and we know where they are already. We just haven't funded them properly. So the solution that we're looking at introducing is a, is a new source of funding into the whole market space. Another favorite theory of mine is that the junior funding, uh, equity funding market is great for gold. It works well for short-term commodities. For diamonds, it's inappropriate. It's been very successful and was in the 90s, had a great, great run. But most people in this room have, have experienced the last <coughs> 10, 15 years, and it's been very tough. The reason is, as Matt pointed out, you have a very large expense. The uh, public equity market has a very short-term focus. To get to the required level mm. to open a mine, as Stornoway has successfully done, is an extremely difficult task in public equity. So we're looking at a separate source of money, <coughs> private equity financing, long-term view, patient capital, and going after those projects that have been discovered but have been ignored. Right. And uh, Matt, you've been in this business quite a while and looking at mergers and acquisitions. You've had a bit lately. What, what is your take on the uh, state of ownership of mines in Canada? We're very open about this. You know, I, I think you know uh, diamond mines work well in, in multi-mine companies. And that's for various reasons, technical reasons, capital deployment reasons. So we're a single asset company, so I'm advertising the fact. I don't think Stornoway is in its optimum you know, place. Uh, we tried very hard to do a combination with Dominion Diamond last year, which was in the media, and it's a done deal that it went another direction. And that would have been a terrific combination, I think, but it's, uh, it's, it's, it wasn't doable. M&A activity in the diamond space is very hard because there are very few players, playing field is very small, few assets, and it's very rare to get a willing buyer and willing seller lined up at the right time when people want to do a deal and when the valuation metrics make sense, because they have to make sense. And so you see a lot less M&A activity in the diamond space compared to the gold space for that reason. There's so much more liquidity in gold, but that doesn't negate the rationale for doing it, right? So. I think Canada has suffered for sure in not having that 
consolidating champion since the 90s. I mean, Dominion Diamond could have been it, and for various reasons wasn't it, notwithstanding the acquisition of the Akati mine. And I think if we had created that consolidating vehicle back in the 90s and had a multi-asset company, it would be a very different sector right now, right? Let me just throw that over to the table. Why is it uh, kind of beats foreigners <coughs> to come in and own and operate the mines to Beers, BHP, uh, now Washington, uh, Rio Tinto, of course. So what is it that Canada's, can you just sell out and uh, give, uh, give the reins to the foreigners all the time? Because <laughs> <laughs> we're capitalists? Op- capitalist opportunity, <laughs> opportunity to make money yeah. for the incoming parties and uh, choosing a moment, perhaps when uh, there's a tough time in the market for the Canadian junior uh, that is uh, trying to move ahead, desperately funding through flow-through financings. Eventually you reach the end of flow-through financings because you have to do engineering design. Well, now we have a serious option agreement to that could lead to a joint venture with Rio Tinto, but uh, I see that as a huge opportunity for both companies. And all three of you, in your own way, are using new technology in Diamond. Uh, can you just speak to new technology that you find attractive as maybe opening up uh, projects making them economic where they were before? So can I, I pick up one of those? And uh, again, referring back to the earlier talk from SRK, um, the key area of difficulty in diamond project evaluation is price estimation. Uh, the rest of it's fairly standard like any other mineral, but estimating the price is the, is the tough one. Um, one of the shortcomings we have at the moment is that we are beholden to one or two providers across the world who do price estimates. I'm not going to use any names, but we all know. Uh, we have no idea how that's done. We have no idea of the robustness of those models. I think there's a big opportunity here for Canada with all of its knowledge to pick up that space and actually develop in that area. And it can come out of the operating companies, which have large parcels of diamonds, understand how to value them. And if we can spread that knowledge, we can increase the level of accuracy or precision we're going to have in estimating price. And that'll cause more projects to surface than we currently know about. The last writing technical point on that is estimation of diamond price, the tendency is always to underestimate, with a few exceptions which are unfortunate, but Nine times out of ten, if you come up with a sample a parcel of diamonds and estimate the price, you'll get it wrong, maybe by 30-40% below. So there's a huge opportunity in there in getting that number right and bringing those projects to fruition. Any other technology examples? Well, you know, we, we've just, you know, we, we've been talking for the last year and a half about high levels of breakage in our initial production of Renard, and I saw Yarrick kind of uh, get into that as well. It's, a, it's an endemic issue for our sector. So we, you know, we brought in ore waste sorting. Tomra technology, spectral analysis of the, of, of the feed. We've got a high waste content in the Renard feed and that creates a very abrasive crushing environment. So that's where we've isolated the source of the breakage. So this has been terrific. I mean, there's two tests by which we measure ore waste sorting as the purity of the sort and then there's the impact on the diamonds. And it's too early for us to assess really the impact of the diamonds because we've got to have big samples and we've got to sell them. We've got to go through the... But just in the first few weeks doing this, we're getting about 25% of our head feed out of the plant at the front end, and it's about a 1% Kimberlite, 99% waste reject stream. It's actually reduced the power consumption of our plant because the power we were, we were consuming to crush that waste is more than the power to run the sorters. So I think we're the first mine in Canada, in any commodity, to do this. 
We're doing it because we have a specific diamond application. But if you're a gold miner and you can, you can get 25% of your head feed and concentrate your, your head feed that way, if you're trucking you know, head feed to a remote plant, this is a terrific thing to do. So I, I think that's, you know, new technology for us has been that just recently and big success, right? So recommend it for any commodity. Uh, obviously, we've probably, it's obvious to diamond processors now that XRT sorting that recovers the big stones early before the opportunity of breakage is most important. And XRT is now almost ubiquitous in the industry. Uh, I think it'll play a, an ever-increasing role in future as the bottom cutoff of the XRT capability falls. Uh, we have very successfully sorted diamonds down to four millimeters uh, at uh, plus 11 goods at uh, uh, Tomra's facility in Germany. I think XRT will become very much more widespread in the industry than it is already. And there will be a demise of uh, DMS and X-ray sortex that rely on luminescence of diamonds that have some unusual variabilities that count always be characterized before the plant goes into action because yeah. your diamond parcel isn't big enough. Yeah, I think one of Casey or Yarek said that the big step forwards in, um, in diamond technology has been when people have kind of left the, the old paradigms behind and done something new. So right now all the new stuff is in recovery, mm. right? It's in processing and recovery and that's where really exciting, interesting things are happening. And a, a smaller footprint for the plant, uh, cheaper operating costs and probably lower capital costs, I think we can say that. Yeah. Just a brave statement. Mm. <laughs> 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 you know, something that's always, I've had a hard time wrapping my head around it, because with diamond projects, when do you stick with it? I think of a Renard, where year after year, it looks kind of, could go one way or the other, or uh, when do you stick with the project? When are you just wasting your time with the project? Uh, what's your feeling for that? Well, I think, you know, you've got to kind of believe in your own asset, right, in a sensible, rational way. You know, uh, we kind of took Renard all the way through to production because nobody bought us, right? Nobody came and made us an offer, <laughs> made us an offer we couldn't refuse, right? So uh, we're a mining company, you know, you, you build it or you stop or you sell it, right? So, um, again, that's a testament to the lack of liquidity of M&A in the diamond space. If we were a gold miner, somebody probably would have made us an offer at some part of the process. So, um, but look, I mean, I think what's really important in, in mining, to, in pursuant to that question, when do you kind of keep going, when do you give up, is, is, is mine life, right? I mean, Renard is a 15, 20 plus, you know, operation, right? There's multiple generations of people working there. So if you're engaged in that kind of, assuming everything goes to plan, and if you're engaged in that kind of venture, right, it's not a short-term commitment, right? You're committing, you know, a big chunk of your career and a big chunk of the lives of local people to this enterprise. That gets you through the difficult times. Yeah, if I could take that back to the exploration stage, the question being how long do you stay and when do you walk away, it all comes down to money. So if you're a junior company funded by the public markets, raise money on a project, you get to a certain point you spend your money. Very difficult to go back even for the second round and certainly not the third round of funding on the same project. So what do you do? You leave that one in the ground, find something more exciting and keep going. The one you left in the ground is still technically fantastic. Mm -hmm. You just ran out of money. And Josh, 
I think my, my short answer at the end is I, I spent 12 and a half years with De Beers at the beginning of my career. Having turned 60, I hope I'm getting nearer to the end of my career. And I've spent 15 years with Star, and I'm going to make it happen. <laughs> we have a very short panel, so I'll ask one last question of the panel. It's just comparing, uh, comparing Canada to the other diamond-producing nations in Africa, Russia, Australia. How are we faring against the competition? Well, I mean, it's, it's kind of still the best, right? Quebec is, you know, you know, <laughs> you know, is the best part of the best of the best country. So, <laughs> so yeah, no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade our condition for mm. anybody else's. Saskatchewan was rated number two by the Fraser Institute as the best jurisdiction, but I think uh, Matt would uh, go against one. that. <laughs> <laughs> we, maybe we're not actually. Yeah. No, it's Finland. Is it Finland? Yeah, yes, yeah, of course. Still. Yeah. In my mind, we're still. My answer is go where the geology is. We know where that is. It's Canada, it's Botswana, and a few other countries. Yes. But if you can do it without sovereign risk, that's much better. Right. <clears throat> okay, and let's uh, wrap it up. And maybe a round of applause for Matt, Peter, and George. That does it for this week's episode of the podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. And as always, if you want to support the podcast, please do subscribe and like it and recommend it and share it. And you can also, of course, take out a subscription to the Northern Miner or take out an ad. And some things we have in the works, uh, our next special section, we have one on base metals and uh, coal as well. And then after that, we're going to have our top 10 list related to the U.S. We just put out a top 10 uh, special section for Canadian uh, companies. Uh, anyways, talk to you later. Bye-bye.